0: Hey, folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly. On this episode, our friend Stephen Baird of TrackFly returns. We take a deep dive into the hot topics of artificial intelligence and privacy, and Stephen shares the latest TrackFly news. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend, and please subscribe and leave us a rating review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And as we head into the Thanksgiving weekend, we want to let you know how thankful we are for the Articulate Fly community. We truly appreciate all of our listeners, supporters, and fly fishing friends far and wide. Please have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. And we also want to give you a heads up about a new series we've recently launched, On the Salt with Gotwin. It's sponsored by our friends at Norvice and co-hosted by Captain David Blinken. Give it a listen to learn how to win a Norvice tying system and a hearty reel loaded with your favorite wolf line now on to our interview well steven welcome back to the articulate fly
1: hey there marvin great to be back with you thanks for the invite again
0: yeah absolutely and, you know as we kind of come into the home stretch of 2023 how was your fishing season this
1: year you know it was it was great we had so out here in utah we had a banner winter last year with a ton of snow i'm sure you heard that in the news Kind of delayed the the runoff a little bit for us, but man, when it run, when it happened, it hit hard, and we had a nice, amazing fall uh, with some great fishing out here, but beyond that, I had a really fun year as I was traveling around the country, meeting with different fly shops, different brands, and really got to, to fish into some amazing parts of the country that I never thought I'd have the opportunity to, at least not in a long time so it was it was a wonderful year I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah, and it's been a really eventful year for TrackFly, too. I know you had a major unveiling at the most recent AFTA event.
1: Yeah, we did. So at the most recent uh, event, the former IFTD, the new Confluence, it was right here in our backyard in Salt Lake City where we had the opportunity to launch the first of its kind data of the industry report where we talked about, you know, true industry trends of top-selling brands, products. We looked at what was actually happening at the ground level across fly shops across the country. And, um, you know, we're just getting started. We launched a couple of really cool things, including our first-ever retailer dashboard, where retailers can start to look at these metrics and apply it to their business practices. Um, And we've got some really cool things coming here in the next couple of weeks as well as a result of those discussions.
0: Yeah, that's really neat because, you know, historically there's been anywhere from basically no data to really, really skinny data sets in the fly
1: fishing industry. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, one of the things that we've been promoting for the last year now is uh, getting away from the survey model. Uh, you know, that's that's really what was, uh, was available to the fly fishing industry historically was taking time, filling out questions. Um, and, you know, it served a good purpose, but we've advanced well beyond that technologically. And it's been really exciting for TrackFly to be able to work to bring these type of applications to this industry to start getting broad data sets and an accurate picture of what consumers are are actually doing in this industry of ours.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's always a tough nut when you do surveys, right? Because it usually only brings in people that are really, really happy or really, really unhappy.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, folks, there's been, you know, Stephen and I talk uh, more than infrequently, but not probably as frequently as we would like to about industry stuff. And, you know, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know, I'm kind of like a closet nerd and used to write computer code on a TRS-80 when I was about 10 or 11 years old uh, and save it on audio cassettes of all things. Um and, and so, you know, there's been so much uh, in the press about generative AI and, you know, Steve and I would keep having these conversations where, you know, we we're like, gosh, you know, no one's really kind of talking about this in a way that kind of makes it digestible uh, for people that aren't propeller heads. Um, and so I wanted to bring Stephen back and say, Hey, Stephen, let's take a deep dive and do something a little bit different. And, you know, it ties into fly fishing because, you know, I've been lucky enough and Stephen, you know, these developers too, to interview quite a few technology companies in fly fishing. So, you know, we thought we would try to kind of give people an overview, you know, and kind of deconstruct AI, talk about privacy and help them kind of understand what's kind of going on, uh, in their day-to-day lives, just so they can be a little bit more informed about kind of what's going on. Uh, so what do you think about that, Stephen?
1: Yeah, you know, it's so important, Marvin. And I know this is this is absolutely why uh, we were excited to, to do this discussion together is because AI, as a buzzword, is on everybody's lips right now. Uh, you know, whether it's in fly fishing, it's really across the entire globe. And it's one of those things that's just incredibly important to understand of not just how does it impact me personally in my life, but especially as a business owner. You know, there are a lot of different ways to cut up this this term, AI, and making sure that you are applying it appropriately, you're protecting yourself, but also you're taking advantage of it and using it as a benefit.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. We were talking before we started recording that, you know, there's some really kind of interesting questions that we'll get to probably a little bit later about how it, you know, impacts creatives, right? About creating content, whether it's music or podcasts or the written word, and, you know uh, what, what does it mean to have a human write something, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But, you know, Stephen, before we kind of completely go down the rabbit hole and everyone's eyes roll back in their head, um, I I thought it would be helpful to your point to, you know, there's no monolithic AI. And I was wondering if you could kind of break down kind of the pieces of the puzzle that make up what people commonly refer to as artificial intelligence.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really important thing to understand because there is what, you know, being published across uh, as just this broad term of AI. But if you actually look at it, there's some really important components of it. And so if we just talk about, you know, the definition of artificial intelligence, you know, humans and machines, we've been interacting with each other for, you know, eons now, decades. Uh, but what this really means is it's actually machine. It is, it is, it is, it is computers. It's, it's algorithms, it's programs that are taking on, uh, you know, effectively cognitive functionality. They're, it's making decisions, it's looking at things in different ways, and it's actually producing information, um, but it's coming, you know, based from a machine. And there's really three components that you need to be paying attention to. Uh, you've got what what's classified as machine learning, uh, which we can talk a little bit a bit more about what machine learning is. Then you've got deep learning, which is in in its kind of own form, a a form of machine learning. And then you've got the generative AI. And that's what you referred to earlier, Marvin. And that's really the the thing that's making the radio waves. That's what everyone's talking about, because generative AI is truly something that we should be aware of and be, be cautious as we're approaching generative AI, but also very aware of what its capabilities are.
0: Yeah, and so to kind of back up, you know, my understanding is that we've had machine learning for a very long time, relatively speaking.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right.
0: You, you want to kind of elaborate a little bit on that on kind of places where people may not know that that's been living probably for the last, what, 10 to 15 years?
1: Yeah, well, and, and in fact, you, you know, if you think about machine learning, you can actually even take it back to the earliest computers. You know, what were computers originally designed for? It was to process information faster. And so when you think about machine learning, you know, machine learning gives uh, exactly that. You know, it's pretty well-defined in its name. It's enabled to take uh, algorithms, the continued algorithms that have been built for decades now with the earliest computers. But you actually provide that algorithm, what's called a trained data set. Um, and it looks at that data set and, and it kind of learns and compounds on itself in order to process information faster. Um, you can give it patterns. It, it, it identifies patterns and can start to self-classify information in order to process data sets at accelerated rates. And what this really allows you to do is, is expand or um, optimize the existing computer systems that have existed again for going back decades, going back to the 60s and 70s, some of those very early on computers. It's the same algorithm, but faster. Now. What you're kind of talking about too, Marvin, of what's been evolved in the last you know, 10, 15 years is what I would actually put more into the deep learning uh, category. And that's when you start to get into these neural networks where it's essentially machine learning on steroids, if you will, where these training sets are actually feeding themselves and creating new algorithms, new networks where, where the, the machines in and of themselves, these computers, these algorithms are self uh, self-propagating. And again, all in the name of speed of information, all in the name of scaling out faster. Um, and so that's where you can talk about technology that has existed for a very long time that's continuing to improve to ultimately process data faster.
0: Yeah. And so I guess maybe some examples would be, for example, like uh, UPS or FedEx using that to improve their logistics, like where where the trucks go and how they load
1: the trucks, right? exactly right. It takes a foundational data point or data set, and it allows you to look at information faster to make key decisions. Um, Another very fantastic example of this that I used to to rely on heavily in my past uh, was working with technology that did email filing. You know, we're all in Gmail, we're all in in these different systems. And when you start to look at an email filing system, you can look at characteristics, you can look for algorithms, you can look for, for for words, for specific specific data points to identify where an email should be filed in your inbox. That would be another really, really specific example of how machine learning can be applied in our day-to-day lives.
0: Yeah, I suspect it also probably lives a little bit in these autocompletes that we're seeing on our iPhones and seeing in Google Docs too, right?
1: That's exactly right. You know, that's not generative. It's um, It's not coming out of nowhere. It's being fed on prompt. And that's really, really where that machine learning kicks in is there are data points that it's seen before uh, that, that, you know, the algorithm or the machine has seen before and it's giving you that information faster based upon your habit.
0: Yeah. And I guess the interesting thing for people, you know, algorithms are just, I guess, really, I think of it as a fancy word for a rule, right?
1: Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. And so these, these machine learning sets, you know, they just are getting fed rules after rules after rule. But that deep learning space is where they're creating their own rules, um, and it's of neural networks. It's a fascinating uh, thought. I don't know if we want to get into neural networks on this discussion, uh, but for those those uh, those data heads like you and I, Marvin, that want to go dig into that, neural networks are a fascinating piece of of how machine learning has evolved in recent uh, recent times.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll save that because we keep talking about maybe doing a podcast series on tech that won't be the Articulate file; it'll be something <laughs> else. But you know, I, I guess the way that learning is happening is you're probably given the computers optimization conditions, right? And they are basically solving for rules that hit the targets. Is that roughly kind of in a very general way how that works?
1: That's actually that's absolutely correct.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, now that we've talked about machine learning and deep learning and people kind of have some examples, um, you know, of where that lives in their 2023 life, let's talk a little bit about what makes uh, generative AI different.
1: Yeah. And so when you get into generative AI, I mean, this is where the tools, you know, we've all probably heard the words chat GPT. You know, we've heard about all these different tools that are coming out right now that are AI driven. That's really where you get in the generative place where content is actually being created normally as a response to a prompt. Um, but it's actually c- those cognitive functions, those human cognitive functions that we would associate with, you know, the human experience coming out of these these uh, these AI applications. Um, so it's, it's still kind of a, a, a bit of a wild west when you think about generative AI. You know, there's the full scope of the impact that can be creative, the content, you know, the the text, the imagery, all of these things. When you start to apply cognitive responses uh, to to machines, you know, there's there's still a lot of unknown about that. There's definitely you know risks about it to be aware of. There's definitely benefits that can come of it as well as it can be applied to different business practices. But that's really the thing that I would say has crept up in the last. You know, 12 to 24 months, you know, it's been obviously worked on for a lot longer than that, but it started spilling across uh, uh, businesses, operations, individual social media, really just over that time period as that's as it's really become available to everybody.
0: Yeah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of start to talk a little bit about privacy to work our way back to AI, because, you know, the secret sauce that makes these models work is just insane volumes of data. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so that to me seems like a good place to maybe kind of pull back to privacy. And I know the last time we were together and we were talking about TrackFly and how you design the software, uh, we talked about the difference between data processors and data controllers. And I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a refresher.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you you hit the nail on the head there, Marvin, And that providing information is absolutely what makes all of these applications and algorithms work. Um, from the standpoint of you know we, we see on LinkedIn, on social media, all these AI generated profile pictures, well, you got to give uh, you got to give a reference point for that and normally that comes with providing a picture of yourself. Um, and so when you start to get into data privacy, um, you know there's those kind of two things you called out data controllers and data processors. Um, when we talked about that last time, the real key thing to note is when you classify in your privacy, policies as a data processor, what that means is that you are connecting data points between two entities and you are not owning that data at any point. It allows you to to enforce a lot of very uh, personally driven or user driven benefits in noting that that data is always owned by the user, Um, different privacy laws like uh, CCPA, GDPR, to to name just a couple, can be enforced because you can request to remove those at any point in time. And a lot of tech companies, I think, are are starting to become aware of the importance of classifying as a processor because of those privacy laws. Now, when you classify as a data controller, it's a little bit different because that essentially means that the data in your platform you own. Um, And so if you start to submit your personal data to these different applications, be aware of that, that if that is, it is going into an application where your data is being submitted to a controller, that application essentially has the liberty to distribute or to, to make use of your data the way that they seem best fit for their business. And those are kind of the big key things to, to take note of there. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of things that come into apply when you're a, a consumer of data, but also when you're applying it or supplying it to these applications. You know, we talk a lot about the cost of technology uh, to out, you know, weight against the benefit. And don't get me wrong, when there is absolutely immense benefits to to providing information to these applications. It makes life a lot more convenient when you're shopping for products, when you're trying to find to decide which series you want to stream next on your on your streaming applications, uh, when you're trying to to figure out where you want to go on your next vacation. The the more information that you provide can absolutely help to dictate where, you know, the where, where you're applying your decisions. But just be cognizant that normally the data that you're providing is going a lot further than where you think it is just for that information to make it back to you.
0: Yeah, and I guess, you know, the easy examples for a data controller would be someone like Facebook, right, or Amazon. Um, but I think, yep. you know, what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, for lack of a better word, relatively benign non-tech companies that you give data to will go monetize that data separately from your business transaction.
1: That's exactly right. And that that's kind of the to highlight that point right there. Um, oftentimes when you, you know, add things to your Facebook profile, add things to your Instagram account, uh, we see what's on the surface and the immediate benefit. But what happens behind the scenes on how far that data is actually traveling? That's something that's not uh, not always visible. In fact, most of the time, it's not visible at all to to the end user.
0: Yeah, and you know another thing we talk about is you know privacy by design and privacy by agreement. You want to kind of expound on those a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's something that we've made a very strong point at Trackfly. Um, you know, from from the get go, when you're when you're when you're enforcing privacy by agreement, um, you're normally just withheld or, or be held to the the laws right and you know there's something to be said about being beheld to the laws people still break the law um unfortunately that's just the world that we live in um and there's always you know abilities to enforce that you know there's claims that can be made but it allows for things to happen that are with are, are outside of our purview um, and that's something to, to that's that's a challenge when you go into privacy by agreement on the flip side of that, when you get privacy by design, and this is something that we, we've we strived from day one at, at Trackfly to implement, Tri- privacy by design means that you have technical limitations. You've put parameters in your software, in the application itself that prevents that application from operating outside of the laws, if you will, the quote unquote laws. And so when you've got that enforced in your agreement, that's great, you want that in place. You wanna be operating within the laws. But when you have that privacy by design, it's that added layer that prevents uh, prevents what you don't want to have happen from happening. It reduces the need for submitting claims against agreements and all of those types of things. And for most, you know, uh, I would strongly urge any type of application that you're you're reviewing uh, that you're evaluating, but also for any tech companies that are out there, as you guys, as as different startups are coming in place building applications, look at the privacy by by design. Look at making sure that your end users are protected. Um, It really is setting yourself up for success going forward for what we don't know with this evolving landscape of artificial intelligence, of machine learning, all the varying laws that are going to be changing and evolving coming coming down the road. Set yourself up for success by having that privacy by design.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? To be really thoughtful about who the product is, right? And where the monetization comes from.
1: You know, Mark, our, our good friend over at Facebook you know, said it himself, uh, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And, you know, it's something to be aware of um, that it's not always a bad thing to have reduced, you know, cost or no cost to use an application. Um, but at the end of the day, just just be aware of that and know that it's likely means that you're paying for that service in a different way. Um, You know, at TrackFly, we offer very reduced costs for our partners that that come in play. But it's also because we're very transparent to know that you're getting the value of the platform through different means. And that's normally coming back through data.
0: Right. And so, you know, just to kind of help people understand kind of if we can kind of, you know, lift the curtain in the land of Oz, you know, what are common monetization strategies between free or quite honestly, you know, paid apps where, you know, I guess consumers don't really know this because they don't realize that it would be $50 a month if the data wasn't sold, but it's $12 a month if they do sell the data. But, you know, what are some common ways that uh, platforms and businesses monetize data?
1: I mean, there's, there's one that is, I think, stands out amongst the rest and it's advertisements. Um, There are, you know, companies across the world, there's, 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 some that we know. There's brands that we know. There's many that we don't know that make a lot of money and and invest a lot of money to advertise advertise products and services to very targeted audiences. Um, you know, there's and there's some really cool application. There's some really cool functionality. You know, if you're if you're an influencer, the influencers out there, you're probably very familiar with this. You can go into Instagram, you can go into Facebook, and you can create very targeted algorithms to make sure that your product or service is getting in front of the right and most qualified users or buyer and so when you think about where that data is going i mean it's 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 to the bidders for the to the people that will pay the money to make sure that they are getting in front of the right audience um, and so really what you're providing you know as a service if, if we're talking social media for a really uh, obvious and and well-known example when you're putting your data into a social media platform and you're adding things over and over, you're posting information, you're posting an image or a picture, you're feeding that information to ensure that your data is getting to the right service providers. That would be most interesting to you. And, you know, it, it's, it's a two-edged sword. I mean, obviously, there's, there's negative to that data being sent out. On the flip side of it, it can also be very convenient because it makes sure that the ads or the products or services that you are being targeted with might actually be something that would be beneficial to you. So, it's it definitely has it has a dual sided approach or dual sided experience.
0: Yeah, and what are some other kind of more subtle things like maybe things that would live in, for example, a paid app or a paid a paid interaction about how uh, a business might monetize the data they collect.
1: Yeah, I mean when you start to get beyond uh, what's on the surface. You're really looking at economics. you're looking at um, you're looking at behaviors. You're trying to understand, I mean, I, I don't I don't know how 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 deep you want to go here, Marvin, but I mean you can talk about uh, po- political alignments. you can talk about um, uh, socioeconomics uh, of individuals. You can talk about things that that really, when you start to get to the biggest players at the top of the pyramids, um, this is the information that drives economies and there's a lot, uh, a lot of individuals out there that want to look to understand again, where, you know, and they'll spend a lot of money. They'll pay a lot of money on these applications to make sure that, um, uh, that they have a pulse of what's happening outside of their own, uh, outside of their own view or vantage point.
0: Yeah. I mean, and so an example would be like looking at correlations between people that buy certain things, uh, and then maybe that translate into certain behaviors, right?
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: And, and so, you know, to kind of put that on steroids, if you have a business and you're collecting the data and, you know, you're the CEO and someone walks in your office and says, hey, I found a way to make some new money. We just found some Cheetos and some change in the sofa. Um, you know, we can sell sell the data to a data broker because it doesn't violate uh, any of our customer agreements. You want to talk to people about, you know, data brokers like Spokio and people like that.
1: Yeah, I mean they they're all over out there, and this this can come as simple as you know when your when your phone connects to a, a network, um, and there's network providers that are able to identi- identify you know movements, actions, activities, purchases, online purchases, all of those types of things. You get to to this world of da- data brokers that essentially sit in the middle, um, and you know they're they're collecting and organizing it in a way so that that way you know the information that's relevant. Uh, on the upstream uh, of of the data relationships and of the data consumers, um, they're making it in a way that that can be consumed at their end um, and so it gets to be um, it gets to be this wild west, if you will, uh, and again just just on that exercising of caution uh, as you, as you get into any of these apps to know uh, and have that awareness that it's not just you interacting with Instagram. Uh, it's not just you interacting with uh, an online store. Uh, there is typically uh, node after node after node uh, brokers of individuals of organizations and entities that are looking at different behaviors, looking at different data points in different ways. And that is truly how data is monetized throughout a vast network of, of applications communicating with each other.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the amazing things I learned probably two or three weeks ago that some of the credit agencies actually have Uh, sister companies that basically are playing in this game, even though they're not shared directly sharing the credit reporting data, they're developing products to basically generate this information.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, just another really good example of it. When you you interact with your, uh, with your credit union, when you interact with your, your banking application, it's, it's not a one-to-one relationship. It's not, it's not the buck stops there through that process. There's information that's being shared on a very wide level uh, and it's all in the name of, of convenience and, and economics and, and, and economy, you know, growing, growing things and, and making sure that, that, that consumer experiences are optimized at least for, for a fraction of them. But um, there's just so many players that come in, uh, come in now when you interact with any type of application.
0: Yeah, And it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, you know, is I kind of think about this, like, I don't think it's per se bad, but I, I think that, you know, consumers, for lack of a better word, you know, ought to be in a position to make an informed decision if they're giving away something valuable, right? And I think they own it, right, because it's their data. Um, but, you know, well, the the horrible thing is, and I mean, and anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that I'm a lawyer by training, and occasionally I'll drop down the rat hole and read one of these privacy policies. And, you know, one, one most people don't. But then, you know, when you read the policies, they're incredibly vague, Right. Um, which makes yeah. me think about reading like life insurance policies, right? It's like, you know, the thing, only thing I know is that this isn't in my best interest because um, <laughs> I don't understand how it works. <laughs> and, and so, you know, if you're, you know, particularly if you're not a particularly tech-savvy consumer, you know, how do you make more informed decisions about, you know, the data you're sharing and not put yourself in a situation where you're sharing stuff you don't want to share?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I've spent a lot of time obviously in these privacy privacy policies with different applications over the years. And um, I, I I hate to use the word complex by design, but unfortunately with, with legal practices, with policy, with with terms of service, um, because you have to cover such a broad uh broad swath of laws and, and regulation, um, unfortunately we we've, we've we've bolstered uh, an entire economy around individuals that that can create language to cover. and I, I say unfortunately, that's probably the wrong term to you because it allows us to protect corporations, protect individuals through languages that unfortunately is not really easy to interpret. and so as as a end user to applications, it's, it's as tough as it is to do. I mean, look at the signs, look at the signs around how you're using the application. Um, I mean, we already talked about this, but a really easy first question is: Is it free? Um, if it is it free, there's normally something to know that there's there's something happening b- un, under the hood or behind the, behind the door behind closed door. Um, other things to look at is what information are you putting into it? Um, is it imagery? Uh, is it uh, demographic information? Is it uh, you know how how frequently are you using the app and are you using it frequent enough? that it can notate different location. And you can kind of start to understand by, by your use of the application, what type of data is being tracked and shared at that point. And, and really the best thing we can do, obviously if you, if you can comb through privacy policy, it helps you to have an understanding. Most of the time though, there's not a lot that an individual can do to adjust or change the privacy policy of an application. And so really my, my strong recommendation to users of applications is as, as silly as this sound, how does it feel when you perform that function? Um, if you're uploading a lot of images of yourself to create a generative AI image that makes you feel uncomfortable, it's probably because there's something that's happening there that you should dig into or look at. If you find yourself constantly getting your, uh, your location pinged by an application, and that's something that you, you you notice or makes you feel a little bit uneasy. Pause and pause and think about it, and look at the use case there. Um, and anytime those moments happen where where your spidey sense is almost telling you that something's up, there's things you can do. Especially on mobile devices, go and look in at your location tracking. Uh, that's one of the first places that I would always go and look if there's something that's constantly tracking your movement. Um, if it's not directly related to a, a strong value add that you're getting from the application, maybe consider reducing that or, or turning it off altogether. Um, if you're loading in data points regularly and you're noticing that you're getting very catered experiences or or, or things that are happening there, um, review the value that you're getting from that application as, and is it worth inputting that data uh, into that system. Um, a lot of it just comes down to behavioral uh, experiences and the personal value that you're extracting from an application and that's that's really the tools that we have in front of us to make sure that we are having safe practices with each of these experiences. You know, it's, it's the same things kind of, you know, Marvin, to, to take it to another level. It's the same, same things that we talk to our kids about, uh, you know, as kids are growing up and learning and, and experiencing the world. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. My, my wife is actually an elementary school teacher, and she talks about all the time about talking to her students about situations that make you feel icky. Pay attention to those moments that you feel icky when using these applications. Don't ignore them. Um, and if, you, if they're in there, if, if, if you're having that experience, you can dig in a little bit further to the policy, to the, to the functions, to the application, and ultimately step out of any situation that's asking too much.
0: And, you know, another thing, too, if you have apps that you don't use, you can always delete them, right? You know, if you're not using them regularly, that's yep. another way to not inadvertently give away data. And then, you know, we were talking before we started recording, there was an article – I don't know, gosh, probably in the last four to six weeks in the Washington Post about kind of how to get a little bit more control of your data. And, you know, one of the interesting things, you know, everyone's familiar with consumer reports, um, and they're obviously kind of interested in this issue. And so they've built an application that's almost like a, uh, a data cleaning uh, concierge where you basically can go into the app and um, give them permission to ask these companies not to sell your data and you get a list of companies yeah. and they'll actually kind of run that process for you and um you know your you're I'm not vouching for it your your mileage may vary but I would say in the trust world um you know I have a fair amount of trust that you know consumer reports is not out there doing something sketchy on the back end of the app so
1: right right
0: um but uh, and then of course when you get all the people who refuse to delete your data it kind of tells you how valuable it is right
1: yeah, how how many times are you asked to not leave the application? <laughs> that's, that's another good another good screener. The old, the 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 classic canceling your AT and T subscription.
0: Yeah, and so you know, uh, you know, and I think we touched on this a little bit, but to kind of bring it floral circle and kind of bring it back to TrackFly, you, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about how you know these privacy issues started to affect your kind of design considerations as you were building out your software?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, at the end of the day, um, we are a data company. You know, we, we fit into that model of, of collecting data point uh, to be able to provide information that's valuable to our customers. And, you know, you talked about a couple of different things. We, we talked about, you know, the, the privacy by design. That, that really is in full force by um, the data that we collect. So there's there's two different ways to collect data, especially through through different integrations. Obviously, at Trackfly, we utilize integrations uh, with various applications to to monitor uh, monitor sell through data. Um, one of the first and foremost things, and again, this is in our privacy policies, but more importantly, it's in our technical design, which is we only collect relevant data points to the service that we provide. Um, that's first and foremost. Uh, we We do not want to collect anything that goes beyond the beyond the service um, and that 's normally where you get into a realm where you have data points not visible to your customer that are being processed either through brokerage to other sides of applications that is is not a, uh, it's not something that's aware to your to your customers so that 's one of the very first and foremost things. Um, that we do is we only collect the data that's relevant to our, to our service and application. The other thing is full transparency in data. Um, so anytime we work with a retailer and, and a retailer uh, uploads or provides data to, to our system to monitor market information or sales information, um, and all of that data, all of the tables, data tables for that retailer are actually completely visible. Um, you can go in and you can you can access to see what data you've com- you've contributed uh, to the reports. Now, obviously, that is very specific to to your data that you provide. Um, but before all of that is then uploaded, aggregated, and shared uh, to a collective reportable data set. it's It's uh, processed in the strictest me- uh, methods of data hashing, data cleansing to ensure strict anonymity so that no individual, individual business and or, or or person is actually identifiable within that broader reportable data set. And that's, uh, again, fully transparent in the application uh, because you're seeing that you're actually consuming the data that's being contributed. Um, outside of that, the other thing that's built in by design is as a data processor. Um, there is derivations of data that, data that TrackFly does own, but it's all based upon calculations and reported upon anonymous sets so that all data that's being communicated from any retailer or brand that's on Trackfly's platform, again, has full visibility into what information is being shared, collected, or aggregated, and um, and and can make those elections based upon the value that they get out of the platform. The final thing that I would say is we've made it easy that if a brand or retailer does not feel comfortable sharing or does not want to partici- participate, deleting, canceling, and removing for your data from the platform is incredibly easy to do. Um, and, and again, that's that just comes with that design. We want to be transparent. We want to be uh, an advocate of, of doing data the right way and, and doing that specifically so that our customers are directly in being impacted and extracting the value that comes with data participation.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of like, you know, the business understands the ingredients they're contributing to the cake, right? Th- they yep. get they get to eat the cake, but they don't know where any of the other ingredients came from, right?
1: Yep, exactly.
0: And they can kind of decide to not play at any time, right? That's
1: exactly right.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And so, you know, if we kind of shift gears a little bit and, you know, earlier on in the conversation, we talked about machine learning, deep learning and generative AI. And I was kind of curious about um, your thoughts on kind of unique privacy concerns around, um, you know, AI and if there were any kind of unique things to like one flavor versus
1: the other. Yeah, you know, and I'll I'll tell you this first and foremost, at, at Trackfly, we are absolutely involved with machine learning we're absolutely utilizing machine learning and deep learning technologies we're also utilizing ai technologies um you know i think in the world that we live in again it's it would be um it, it would it would be inefficient to not look at the best class technologies that are available to utilize um however that being said when you start to get into that generative ai there's a really important distinction that that comes in place and that's utilizing that generative AI to make decisions for you or to utilize it to provide you with information that you can still use your own personal human cognitive abilities uh, to be able to make creative, uh, distinctive, and unique choices going forward. Uh, That's one of the most important things that we're advocating for at TrackFly is to not let technology uh, reduce or remove the human creative process, the ability to be unique, the ability to to make to, to make decisions that are impactful uniquely for your business or for your individual self. And so, when we start to talk about uh, AI capabilities, we absolutely, uh, you know, uh, uh, prompt our AI tools to make sure that we are uh, at uh, categorizing. Uh, organizing and constructing data that is information useful to multiple individuals looking at it, um, that's, that's a way for us to scale and to move quickly. Um, and it's based uniquely off of our proprietary way to collect data and our proprietary way that we are communicating and utilize our AI applications. Um, and I would just say that that same experience goes for anybody out there utilizing those generative AI uh, whether it's for content, whether it's for copy, whether it's for imagery. You know, there's there's one thing, that it's one thing to be able to feed it prompts and then just take those responses that AI is producing and just put that out there as your final product. It's another thing to use it as a foundation, as a tool, which is what it really is. It's a tool uh, in order to create new ways of thinking, to be able to identify gaps, to be able to identify Uh, You know, a a thought process that maybe you would have missed if you didn't utilize it as a tool. Um, And then to find those gaps and fill it in with your own unique experience and your own unique um, take on the world uh, that provides value for you as an individual. That's really where it comes in uh, very uniquely.
0: Yeah, it's a, gosh, it's a phenomenally, I mean, gosh, this is the understatement of the millennia. It's an insanely complicated issue to kind of work through, Um, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, one, like, you know, as you're talking about, like, not creating stuff or not having stuff created for you and sharing it as your own. Um, But there's a really kind of a difficult thing in the sense of, you know, some things are not, don't necessarily have to be personal, Right to be effective. So, for example, if you leave your office every day at six and go home, you don't really need a personal touch to send you a reminder to send your wife an email that says, Hey, I'm going to be late. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Although my wife might appreciate that, Marvin. (laughs) Yeah. But,
0: but you know, it doesn't, you don't have to like look at that and, you know, craft it for yourself. But I do think there's some really, you know, interesting things. Like one of my frustrations, um, you know when we were talking about this before we started recording as a podcaster and kind of creating in that space is you kind of you know the big push right now is is for the most part is around show notes, timestamps and social media creation. And you know you kind of looks in some ways you kind of are getting into this trap where you're using a machine, you know, an AI uh uh, you know, bot to basically create the post on social media to get the social media post bot to then share it to the world to get a listener. And that seems <laughs> exactly slightly silly to me. Um, and, you know, of all the things in the, uh, if any developers are out there wondering what Marvin Cash wants from AI in the world of podcasting, the thing that to me that would be phenomenally helpful is there's a lot of stuff that you have to do. To put out a podcast, right? Whether loading stuff in content management systems, cropping images, all that sort of stuff. That if someone could start to streamline that, so you could kind of, for lack of a better word, teach the algorithm how you like to post content, that would be huge.
1: I love it, and, and you know, it's it's funny. I I've got a really funny story for you, actually. So at the beginning, we we talked about the After Confluence event that uh, we had. Uh, you know, a great launch there, great. Uh, great meetings with people. There, there is a sticker that we created that is circulating right now. And if you were at Confluence and you took track fly stickers, you may have this one. We actually created a AI generated fly. And, and it was just to kind of put this on. And it's a little Easter egg. We didn't promote it. We didn't talk about it. But if you've got a track fly sticker from Confluence, look at that fly and tell me if you think you'd catch ever ever catch a fish with that. And if the answer is yes, uh, you're not looking at it close enough because there are fine details that you need to pay attention to um, that if you just use what is produced from AI, you miss out on all of the under, uh, all all of the behind the scenes work, all of the little nuances that need to take place for it to be an accurate experience. And it's not to say AI will get better experience that it's going to continue to get smarter it's going to continue to be able to identify these things but to your point marvin you cannot just take the responses from ai because you will be missing things you will be missing all of the details all of the work that goes around creating a podcast identifying you know the the technologies to make it what it is today and to reach an audience that you have set up with the articulate fly there's a lot that goes behind the scene that AI simply cannot, and and likely will never be able to do.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, because I think at um, some level, particularly when you start looking on the creative side, and it doesn't really—I mean, there's creative that's you know in kind of today day-to-day business. You know, it fundamentally begs the question. You know, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Right. And it's, an, it's a fascinating thing because, you know, the other thing, flip side of it is, and, you know, we've seen this before, you know, if you get an extra two hours a day, but you just spend it on Instagram, it probably doesn't really matter whether you have generative AI in your life or not. Right. Um, yeah. You know, you could go to the gym, you could read a book um, that a person wrote. Um, so it's an interesting thing, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, the world is going to continue to evolve. And this is why this this topic is so important. Um, you know, it's again, I, I know I've said this a couple of times now, but it really is so important. The world's going to continue to evolve. Um, AI is here. It's not going anywhere. Learn how to utilize it. Learn how to um, to to av- avoid the pitfalls, though, that can also come um, by relying on it too heavily. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. We, there's a lot of comparisons between when the Internet was launched. And, uh, and with AI right now. And I think it's an accurate comparison. You know, we can't imagine a world right now where we didn't have the connectivity that comes with the, with the internet. Um, in five, 10 years from now, we're probably going to say very similar things about AI. But just like the internet is a powerful tool, it also has, you know, it has some damage that it's produced across the years as well. You can have positive and negative to everything in life. And if you can utilize AI to make good decisions, to promote your own creativity, to, to grow yourself personally, and you can supplement it with going to the gym, reading a book, doing things that, that uh, you know, are involved in the human experience, we're going to see that it can become very powerful. That being said, it will also have the side as well that if we stop doing those human things and we start to lean on it uh, too heavily, it will have some, some, uh, large and wide span negative impact, uh, both societally and economically.
0: Yeah. It's the, it's the seduction of convenience. And I know you've heard me say this before. I always say, you know, if I have a shovel, I can dig a hole or I can hit you on the head. And it's really kind of up to me, which one I want to do. Right. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I, I don't know which one you'd do to me, but I, I'll, I'll wait to find out. I'll hold up
0: on that one. Yeah, there you go. And, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, hopefully, folks, this has been kind of helpful to kind of understand, at least to kind of give you a little bit better framework for what's going on. And, um, you know, uh, before I let you go tonight, Stephen, you know, I know you're probably, you know, frantically putting together new features and product updates uh, for either late this year or early next year. Do you have anything you want to share with our listeners?
1: yeah we've actually got a couple of really exciting things that are coming out here just in the next coming weeks and months. um first and foremost, so in the topic of AI and machine learning, you know we are refining that that aspect of track flight every single day to get more dialed in more accurate product categorization and and trend uh, which which ultimately leads to really accurate trend consumer trend information that's happening. Um, for specialty retailers. And again, all of this is visible and given directly back to the customers utilizing Trackfly. So that's one thing that's just continually ongoing that I would be remiss if I didn't shout out to. Um, Additionally, two really cool features that are coming out here in the next couple of weeks uh, is the ability for our retail partners to connect with their brand partners. Um, This is something that is really, you know, it's existed for a long periods of time at very costly um, uh, uh, expenditures uh, for very large brands to do with very large retailers. And we we couldn't be more excited to bring this capability to the specialty retailers that are utilizing TrackFly and the brands that they, that they partner with. And really what you're going to start to see is retailers inviting brands to collaborate with them on TrackFly and vice versa. Brands starting to invite their retailer partners to really start to collaborate on inventory and if there's one thing that we know is, is shaking out right now and will continue to shake out over the next 12 months is cleaning up inventory issues. And we believe that this type of connection capability is going to really support the means of, of flatlining that and, and solving a lot of those inventory issues over the coming months. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, we'll, we'll do a market launch on it when it's available, obviously, uh, but then also pay attention when your retailers and brands are inviting you to connect. That'll be really exciting. And then the last thing that will that I'll promote here is starting early next year will be the first version of the brand uh, dashboard. You know, we launched at Confluence the Retailer Dashboard. The brand dashboard is now coming up here in the next couple of months, and that's going to be really a way for you as a brand to monitor the market trends, the value of your specialty retail channel, and ensure that you're making all the right decisions to grow and see those those trading partners succeed. So those are just a couple of things. Obviously, there's a long tail of development projects that are in the work right now, but definitely keep an eye out for those when they're going to be launched here in the coming weeks and months.
0: Yeah, and kind of one of the interesting things, too, I mean, because you and I have talked about it, is there's going to be at some point kind of in the evolution the ability to bring all of this technology not to replace manufacturer's reps, but to actually help them be better business partners with their brands and their retailers.
1: Absolutely, and I'm, I'm glad you called that out. We are actually meeting with many of these manufacturing reps right now. Developing a very impactful tool for them. So, if you are exactly that—if you're a manufacturer or an independent rep—please uh, reach out to us at at trackflyinfo at trackfly.com. We would love to get your input to make sure that this is being designed in a way that that supports your success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, it sounds to me like you know what you're really doing is you're using AI at Trackfly kind of as a wrapper around your older versions of machine and deep learning to actually help you kind of clean up the data faster. Right. Because, I mean, we've talked about it's kind of like someone giving you a million shoeboxes full of pieces of paper and saying, please file my tax return. Right.
1: (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's exactly right. It sounds like you you and I have probably done that before as well. (laughs) um, No,
0: I've had a scan snap for a very, very, very long time.
1: (laughs) There you go. You're exactly right, Marvin. That is, that is, you know, we, we apply machine learning and AI so that any retailer continue to use your existing system, continue to track your receipts in the shoebox, in a point of sale system or however you're doing it, use the processes that you're currently doing, the systems that are in place, and we map it and we can map it quickly because of these technologies. And it gets you intelligence that otherwise would have taken a lot of time, a lot of resources Um, and, and which is why it's normally been reserved for those companies that, that truly just have the most resources because it it historically has taken that.
0: Yeah. And so I'll just, for, for just individual small business owners or any other people, I have an app that I love called receipts that you can scan or put, you know, PDFs in of, of receipts and you do it one time and you basically tag the data with the manufacturer and it basically will read the amount and going forward, you just put it in there and, you know, at the end of the year, you have all of your receipts and it totals it up and it's all categorized as pre-killer.
1: Amazing. Yep.
0: And then I sp- get to spend more time on Instagram. And <laughs> give it data, right? Exactly. Just feed the beast. And, and so uh, so I, <laughs> I, I know you are probably uh, trying to get to the million mile man on United. Um, where can folks uh, find <laughs> you uh, in your your team on the 2024 show circuit?
1: Absolutely. We're, we're looking forward to this circuit. We're looking forward to talking to retailers and brands as we make way across the country. Specifically, you'll find uh, TrackFly at the Denver, Edison, Atlanta, and Bellevue Fly, show, fly Fishing Show this year. Uh, we'll be there in, uh, in partnership with our good friends over at AFTA. So please come find us uh, if you want to sit down, talk about the data work that TrackFly is doing, or get involved and participate. Uh, we'll be there to answer any questions and to do a couple of fun presentations as well. So you won't want to miss that.
0: Uh, well, very good. And uh, is there anything that I've left out this evening, Stephen, you want to share with our folks?
1: Uh, you know, just always want to be appreciative to you, Marvin. Uh, I've always enjoyed the conversations that we've had. Uh, we, we, we dig into some of the hard topics, which is really enjoyable. Uh, the only other thing that I would say is anyone that wants to continue to dig into this, you know, we've got a great team of of data engineers, of data scientists, Um, and obviously I just love, I love nerding out this at any opportunity I can. Uh, so please reach out. Uh, you can send an email to info at trackfly.com or come to our website, www.trackfly.com. And we would love to talk to you about how our data practices are set up, how you can participate and how you can start to extract really important, uh, business information out of Trackfly to fuel profitable business decisions.
0: Uh, got it. And then, you know, for folks that may not be, you know, uh, a retailer or a brand or a rep, you know, any resources you can put, you want to point folks to like, you know, Electronic Frontier Foundation or anything like that to kind of get more information and kind of stay up to date on kind of the state of play and privacy and AI issues.
1: Yeah. You know, there's, there's a couple of really good, good platforms that I go uh, to look at. And, um, you know, one of which that, that I get notifications on pretty frequently is just from the McKinsey and company. Um, uh, they're, they're doing a lot of research in there, uh, on, on generative AI really frequently. Um, I don't, I don't have probably anything else beside that. So I don't know if you want to include that Marvin or not, but, um, uh, no, I, I probably don't have anything to add there.
0: Yeah. If I have any great brainstorm, uh, I'll drop it in the show notes folks. And, uh, you know, Steven, if p- folks want to kind of keep up with all the cool stuff you're doing at track, fly and follow the company, where should they go?
1: Yeah, go ahead and head to our website www.trackfly.com. We're posting updates there frequently. Pay attention to our Instagram channels at uh, excuse me at Trackflyfish and or Trackfly Inc. can also find us on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the standard channels there. But then most importantly, if you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email at info at um, and we are, we are eager to talk to anybody that wants to explore this fun data world we live in.
0: Yeah, Well, there you go. Well, Stephen, I appreciate you carving out a little bit of time for me this evening.
1: Likewise, Marvin, as always, appreciate it. And we'll look forward to the next one.
0: You betcha. Take care. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Happy
1: Thanksgiving and tight lines, everybody.